Welcome to the Tech Legal Matters podcast by iAfrican Radio. Since 2015, we at iAfrican.com have been doing research and publishing about significant data breaches and leaks across Africa. Some we have reported on publicly, while others were too sensitive and we simply notified the relevant authorities without publicly reporting on them. During the same period, we have also researched and reported extensively on cybersecurity, privacy, and data protection-related matters across Africa. What we have always observed is that not many people and organizations understand the legal implications of the various technologies that they use. In this podcast, we will explore these topics and more, with a specific focus on the intersection of technology and the law, how that affects you as an individual, but also from a business perspective. New episodes of the Tech Legal Matters podcast will be broadcast every Friday. The podcast will also feature analysis, insights, and commentary from attorneys who specialize in information and communications technology law. My name is Defo Mohapi, and I will be your host. South Africa is often said to have one of the best constitutions in the world. I could even argue that this excellence in legal matters also extends to the country's cyber laws. Take, for example, South Africa's Protection of Personal Information Act, or PAPAYA, as it is commonly known. It's often argued that it compares favorably with the European Union's General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR. However, what I've observed is that where South Africa often fails is in the enforcement of these laws, or in some cases, making sure that us as citizens understand these laws and how they apply to our lives and businesses. Joining us today on the Tech Legal Matters podcast to understand South Africa's cyber laws is Sizwe Snail Gamduze, director at Snail Attorneys and a part-time member of the Information Regulator of South Africa. Sizwe is also the adjunct research fellow and lecturer at Fort Hare University. Sizwe Njanibut. Good afternoon, Devo. Thank you for having me on your show today. Great. I mean, for the benefit of our listeners who are not familiar with the various cyber laws that South Africa has, could you just maybe briefly give us a quick summary of which laws exist as far as cyber law go? Cyber law in itself is, is not a traditional source of law as we know it. You know, traditionally in terms of the curriculum that was taught in university, But over the years and with the advent of the fourth industrial revolution and the digitization of basically our livelihoods and and every single profession and industries, it became apparent that cyber law has now developed as its own legal discipline, which is a, a mixture of the various disciplines of law as we traditionally know them. Okay. And which specific laws do we have in South Africa that cover the broad topic of cyber law? I know of the Protection of Personal Information Act. Are there any others? Yes. The, the spectrum is, is pretty broad. But just to put it into context, if one were to talk about electronic communications, one would be thinking of the ECT Act. If one were to think of domain names, one would be thinking of the ECT Act as well. If one were to think about cyber criminality, if one looks at Chapter 10 of the ECT Act, it also contains provision around cybercrime. We also have what we call the RICA, the Regulation on Interception and Monitoring Act, uh, as well as what you have now mentioned, the PAPAYA, which is the Protection of Personal Information Act, which was specifically designed to protect persons, or should I say data subjects, personal information. But there are various other laws dealing with aspects of copyrights, 
um, other aspects relating to cybersecurity. So it is a broad spectrum, but I think for the purposes of this discussion, we can focus on the cyber criminality as well as the protection of personal information. In terms of the cyber criminality, before we get to Papaya, have we seen any arrests or not necessarily arrests, but have we seen any instances where it's been used in court cases? Well, the ECT Act has been around since 2002. And in the 18 years of its existence, I must say, South Africa has really been advanced in in trying to enforce the laws that are prescribed in terms of the ECT Act. In particular, as you're asking the the cyber criminality aspect, there have been various prosecutions in terms of Section 86.1, 86.2, and 86.3, as well as 86.4 of the ECT Act, primarily the interception of a communication, number two, the damaging or altering illegally of a information system in terms of 86.2, 86.3 also, you know, relates to the hacking and, and cracking of passwords or the provision of passwords devices. 86.4, not so predominantly prevalent, initially meant to protect copyright infringement, but I think the prosecutions have been quite slim there. If one then looks at denial of service attacks as well, that is also now uh, being yeah. prescribed, and there have been some prosecutions in relation to that as well. That's quite interesting in terms of applying it for cyber criminality purposes. But in terms of general citizenry, as an attorney, from your point of view, do you in terms of what you see out there and what you deal with on a day-to-day basis, do you think many businesses and people are aware that these laws exist, specifically the ECT Act? I think there is a general awareness, especially amongst business people and, and educated people that, you know, there are these laws in terms of the ECT Act. But I think the general population is still catching up to the reality that there are actually cyber laws and that they can be enforced in terms of the prescripts of the laws of this country. So as much as we are 18 years past the proclamation of the ECT Act, I think the reach and the knowledge of the Act has not reached everyone in South Africa as yet. I I ask that specifically because, I mean, we've seen over the years an increase in things like identity theft, in things like data breaches in South Africa. And many people, and why I say this, and perhaps it's from where I'm sitting, they just give up. They don't follow these up or or try to follow these up legally. Is it because justice is expensive or is it just a matter of apathy? I think when it comes to cyber criminality, (laughs) one of the, the biggest issues that we have there is the difficulty when you walk into a police station and you try and report a cybercrime incident, that the police officers are not properly trained to, to take a statement with regards to cybercriminality. And, and a lot of the policemen themselves are actually not trained in terms of understanding what the ECT Act says. So, you know, if you really want to enforce your rights in terms of that, one sometimes would have to go see an attorney who would then have to maybe do a draft statement for them and refer 
specifically to the sections and only once that has been done does it get the necessary attention that it needs. Also from an investigation point of view, a lot of the cybercrime investigations, I think they're more centralized to the, the metropolitan areas. So you do see prosecution of cybercrime incidents in the metropolitan areas, but not so much in the small towns and the rural areas. And I think it's an issue of awareness both amongst the general population as well as the police officers who are supposed to take these statements and investigate these matters. And I think also it's a very important thing considering that uh, I think you mentioned that when we started this interview that all of our livelihoods are becoming digitized and this applies to everyone, whether you're in a small town or rural town, most things are slowly or in some cases rapidly becoming digitized. So the risks attached to digitizations also applies to people in smaller and rural towns. So getting those police officers and people for, who are responsible for law enforcement in those towns is actually very important that they become aware of these laws and how to tackle them, wouldn't you say? Yes, I think it's lack of awareness. And I think in terms of continuous training of police officers, I think the area of cyber criminality is an area where I think our South African police must invest more time and more resources into training police officers to deal with these things. I mean, you have your cyber bullying, you have um, your revenge porn incidents. I mean, there are a lot of incidents relating to cyber criminality that people just leave due to the fact that they either don't know where to go or they are concerned with the fact that there will not be anyone to attend to them specifically and take their statement and take the investigation further. That makes sense. Now, moving on to the next point, how do these laws sort of overlap or complement each other when we're talking about the ECT Act, the ECT Act and the Papaya? Is there in any way where they're linked or overlap with each other or complement each other? In terms of the, the legislation overlapping, I think the ECT Act was designed to cover all aspects of cyber law at the time. I mean, it was in 2002. And if you look, there's a chapter that also deals with uh, protection of personal information. But the, the papaya was specifically designed to, to give effect to the right of uh, privacy, as well as what we call data protection in terms of the European legislation. As you know, the whole thing of data protection has really gained traction internationally. And it became imperative to have a, a single piece of legislation dealing with that. Uh, for instance, a cyber security incident or a cyber crime incident may result in the loss of personal information. So on the one hand, it may be a criminally sanctionable act, the having unlawfully accessed the personal information. But if one looks at Popia in terms of Section 22, you may also have committed a cyber breach. And in terms of Section 22, a responsible party, which is a person who processes personal information of a data subject, may have to report itself to the information regulator that there indeed was a cybersecurity breach and that personal information uh, may have been compromised. What I wanted to find out also is, I mean, there's these laws. We're talking about the ECT Act, Papaya, RICA. Do these laws apply to government or is government 
immune to them? Can, can government be charged under these laws? In terms of the vertical application and horizontal application of the Bill of Rights, all the laws of South Africa apply to everybody, be it a, a person or be it also a, a arm of government. Obviously, in terms of criminal prosecution, you would have to have an individual that you would be criminally prosecuting. So if there would be an individual within government who is perpetrating these criminal actions, then my submission there would be that you would be able to prosecute the individual for breaching the cyber criminality legislation. However, POPIA is different. POPIA really applies to everybody. It replies to any responsible party. Now, a responsible party is a person who processes personal information. It could be a sole proprietor. It could be a business. It could be a school. It could be a group of persons, an organization. It could even be a public body or an arm of government. Therefore, the POPIA really stringently applies to anyone who is processing personal information of a data subject and any responsible party who is processing same must adhere to the eight principles contained in Popia. I would be correct then from your explanation to say that if I feel that a government body or government-related body has violated my rights in terms of Popia, in terms of losing or allowing some of my data to be accessed by a person who shouldn't be able to, I would be well in my rights to open a case against them. We need to distinguish. When you use the word case, I I assume you're referring to criminal matters. Criminal matters would more refer to an individual who is doing criminality. However, if, if you were of the view that a particular body of government or arm of government is processing your personal information without the necessary authority to do so, now what would the authority to do so be? The authority to process personal information would be necessarily if you've given your consent that the people can process your information. Alternatively, there may be a piece of legislation that authorizes them to process your personal information. In other words, the PUPIA is not an inhibitive piece of legislation. It does not say, uh, just because you have my personal information, uh, you must not process it in terms of whatever prescripts of the law. If there is a piece of legislation that says that a particular arm of government may process your personal information, then that obviously is permissible. If you have not given your consent or you have given your personal information for a specific purpose and that specific of government, uh, let's say there's a breach or or an employee there, Uh, forwards this personal information for other purposes than for what it was collected for or for what it must be used for, then you can complain to the information regulator and say that there has been an abuse of your personal information. I ask this because we've seen in South Africa, as we wind up this episode, we've seen in South Africa different private organizations being contracted by government entities to perform certain tasks, whether it be in social development, whether it be in processing payments, etc. And these bodies or these private organizations then go a step further to subcontract other private organizations that will supposedly have access to this data as well. 
how do all these laws now come into effect in the case of sub subcontractors who are working on information that I as a citizen only supply to a government entity? Should something like a breach happen or a cyber criminality act happen? I'm glad you've asked me about the situation of where government being the responsible party subcontracts to a what we call an operator to fulfill a particular function. So a responsible party is bound to prepare the eight principles, but so is the operator. You will note the case of uh, Black Sash versus the Minister of Social Development and others where the information regulator was cited, where the court specifically made the announcement that the personal information of grant beneficiaries belongs to the grant beneficiaries. It does not belong to SASA and it is subject to the protection of personal information and that such personal information may only be used by the operator for the purpose that specific arm of government had employed that agency to do the work for. The moment the operator uses the personal information for other purposes, other than for the purposes for what it was collected for or authorized for in law, then we have a breach in terms of the conditions of protection of personal information. And therefore, you could also complain to the information regulator in terms of that. Caesar, I think you've untangled it and made it clearer for myself and the listeners. And thank you very much for taking time out to talk to us and expand on these uh, legal matters. Thank you, Tefu, very much. And I hope your listeners enjoyed this. And it was great being on your show. Remember to tell your friends, family, and colleagues that the show is available to listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, or any other app that you use to listen to podcasts. Also, make sure to head over to www.iafrican.com forward slash radio. That is www.iafrican.com forward slash radio. And subscribe to get notified on new episodes of the Tech Legal Matters podcast and any other iAfrican radio shows. Stay safe on the web.